This is the Out of Water Podcast. Out of Water is a production of Rio Vista Community Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and tell a friend to help them find Out of Water also. This is part two of this week's episode. If you have not yet listened to part one, please go back and do that before listening to this section. And then we get back to Mark and he records the Jesus beginning to call his disciples. Verses 14 through 20, it tells us, now after John was arrested, which that's a whole big thing in itself, by the way, Mark. (laughs) Uh, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. You know, it's we have this story recorded in some of the other gospels, which with, as you say, more flavor mm-hmm. to them. Um, Jesus sort of demonstrates a bit of his, you know, his authority, his supernatural power. We have the in in one of the accounts in Luke, for example, it tells us that he said to them, "What are you doing?" Well, we've been fishing all night. Well, cast your nets in one more time. We've been at this all night. No, no, do it again. That side of the boat. And of course, the net is full to bursting. And Peter's like, get away from me, Lord. <laughs> it's like, I, it's like you've just shown me who you are. Really, I am a sinful man. Get away from me. Um, and then in John, you have Jesus showing, you know, supernatural knowledge about, you know, talking to Philip and uh, Nathaniel and saying, yeah, I saw you standing under the tree. Well, mm-hmm. he wasn't anywhere near the tree. But I think even apart from those things, what struck me when I read that passage, Sam, is that you know what kind of a compelling presence must Jesus have been that when he said, hey, come follow me, people came and followed him. Um, mm-hmm. And the other thing that occurred to me is that – there's no point here where Jesus says, let me lay out this whole plan for you. I'm going to explain everything. I got the package of benefits here. I got all the stuff you need to know. Here's what's going to go right, what's going to go wrong. Here's how it's going to wind up. You guys want to make a decision? You need some time? You know, you ready? You ready to sign up? Okay, you're going to sign up. You want some time. You're out of here? All right, sorry. Okay, you're good. You're good. Uh, it wasn't like that. Mm-hmm. It was. This was a situation where they believed in him. They trusted mm-hmm. him. They were going to follow him. It didn't matter to what, to where, what was going to happen. It was they were following him. And it's kind of the same thing with us. You know, Jesus doesn't tell us where he's going to lead us before mm-hmm. we agree to follow him. We yeah. just have to follow him. 
And and you read Mark and you're like, whoa, if some guy just kind of showed up and said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. It's like, I'm not going. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But there's this backstory that you're talking about. You know, Andrew, we know that Andrew was actually a disciple of John the Baptist before he became a disciple of Jesus. And so it makes you wonder, you know, what exposure did Andrew have to Jesus beforehand? What had he gone home and told Peter? What, right. you know, what kind of information do they have to where when this miraculous catch that you read about in the other gospels happens where they're like, okay, that seals the deal. This guy is legit. Like, where do we have to sign? What do we have to give up? We're all in. We believe that you are God in the flesh, you know, or there's something definitely divine about you. We're in. Um, you know, we'll we'll leave the, our nets and our boats and our lives behind. Um, and and I love Jesus's comment when he says, "I'm going to make you fishers of men," because it speaks of his sovereignty. You know, when you imagine that miracle where Peter is disbelieving and he's like, "There's not going to be any fish there," and God controls. I mean, you got to think. Not only had God controlled the fact that they hadn't caught anything all night, which is every bit as sovereign. You know, to where Peter would have been, Peter and Andrew and James and John would have been thinking, gosh, you know, we're desperate. Well, God had kept fish away from their nets all night to make this point. And in this particular moment when he says, lower your nets, God supernaturally puts all of the fish. This isn't happenstance. He's like, okay, all you fish, (laughs) right here, right side of the boat, wait for the net, you know. And they're all there, and they catch so much that the boat begins to sink, the nets begin to break, and all this. And it's like God is sovereign every bit over you know all the hundreds of fish that they caught in that moment. And when he says, I will make you fishers of men, he's every bit as sovereign over the people that he's going to put underneath your nets, figuratively speaking, obviously. You know, like he's put people in your path, and you're to share the gospel with them, and he is the one who's sovereign over which one's are going to be caught and by the gospel, you know, and into eternity. Yeah. And so there's there's a great deal of comfort in knowing God is the one who controls what's underneath your boat. Yeah. You're responsible for dropping your nets. Yeah. And as I said, the, the decision to follow Him is because of Him. It's not. It's not mm-hmm. because of what we think we're going to get out of it or where we think he's going to take us because he's going to take us. Here's one thing I can promise you. There will be at some point at which you say to the Lord, I didn't see that one coming. <laughs> you know, there will be. I'm so, if, you, if, you, if you walk with the Lord long enough, if you follow Jesus long enough, there will be some point where you feel that the Lord has led you to a certain place that you're going to say, I didn't see that one coming. Um, I, I know there I think been that s- happens more often than not. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I feel like God is the master of the judo technique. Like he uses your weight against you <laughs> and then you end up somewhere and you're like, how did I get here? Yeah. Um, you know, and and it's always – I've always appreciated every bit of it. But I, I never in a million – if 20 years ago, there's not a chance in the world I would have imagined this story having played out. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Not about your story, about mine. Uh, <laughs> but for similar reasons, you know, if you had said, "Hey, for the last fifteen years, you're going to be working at this church that you've been going to for the prior twenty, I would have said, oh, "Yeah, sure." Um, and yet here I am. So, yeah. um, you know, one of the things that this always brings up, anytime we have a discussion about, you know, receiving that call, because you know, 
Jesus here is calling his specifically his disciples. He's calling his his inner group, his core group. But this call that of Jesus is something that goes out to all of us universally. Uh, John twelve twenty six says, "If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him." Um, Paul, when he's writing in Ephesians, explaining this whole process of salvation, says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, mm-hmm. not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It is God's intention that the people to whom he gives that gift of faith, the people whom he has planned for to be part of his family, that those people would then, as Paul says, for good works which God prepared beforehand, that we should do them. Um, so I understand there's a and, – and, and I know, having been part of that American evangelicalism, the indie fundy, I understand that it comes from a good place. They, want, they don't want to say anything that makes it sound like something that you're doing is going to be the reason you get into heaven. They want to make sure that you understand that you go to heaven because you have faith in Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I agree with that. That's true. A hundred percent true. However, the fact is that if you have faith in Jesus, then there will be good works that follow. And it's not a situation that the good works are there to do anything other than to give testimony to the faith. But that's mm-hmm. what James says. Hey, you can say you have faith. Show me that without works. Well, I'll show you my faith by my works. Um, so I don't, I'm not afraid to say that when somebody says, yeah, that, that, sounds, that sounds great. Yeah, yeah, faith in Jesus sounds good. Sign me up. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, but what you're signing up for, just so you know, is a changed life. Mm-hmm. And there are things that come with that. Yeah, I, I love seeing this. You know, the gospel movement is not just, okay, this world's, you know, going to hell in a handbasket, and so we're just kind of holding our nose until we get to go to heaven. Like, that's not the way that Jesus sees the kingdom of God. He, you know, he says, hey, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here now. It's coming. Well, what does that mean? Like, this is heaven? No, no, no. What it means is he is heaven. He's the essence of heaven. He is broken into this world. And then what? when he builds his church, when he calls you to himself into faith, yeah, you get the promise of a glorified heaven where sin is gone and everything is made right. Absolutely, that's true. But it's, he is building an insurgency. He is building a, a, a group of people, this covenant community of faith that is bringing an insurgency of heaven into this broken, rotten, dark world. And he's saying, I want all the flavors of heaven. I want grace and I want mercy and I want love and I want the fruit of the spirit to spread and to begin to bring some cleansing to this place. And so when you say, well, I don't want to say anything about works, you're missing the point. Like, you're, you've been saved to become part of the insurgency so that people can get a flavor of who Jesus is, the kingdom of heaven, into this world and to say, well, I'm not doing anything. You're, you're out of the mission. The whole point of why Jesus calls you to, to live and to work and to do things into this world and to preach the gospel is so that heaven can come down into the lives 
of broken dead and their sin and trespasses people. And so I love that idea of us being this this kind of insurgency movement, you know, where we're bringing heaven down mm-hmm. um, by the power of the Spirit at work in us. Absolutely, it's not our own works. But God doesn't just save us and say, "Okay, sit on the shelf until you get to go to heaven because you're not you're not useful." No, no, no. He wants us to move and act and bring heaven into our communities, our lives, our families. Heaven, you know, that's how he teaches us to pray, thy will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. Sure. Like he's he's not just speaking poetically. That's the mission. Next, Mark comes down to the beginning of – and this was funny too because the rest of the chapter, Jesus is both preaching and teaching and <laughs> healing all at mm-hmm. the same time. And I'm like, okay, well, I wanted to hump somehow because I always have to divide things into fives. That's my spiritual gift, <laughs> the spiritual gift of fifths. Um, so I said, all right, I'm going to talk about him being a healer first and a preacher second. But you will notice that he is preaching and healing at the same time. <laughs> so please don't correct me on that, folks. I know he's doing them all at the same time. Uh, verses 21 to 34 tell us, uh, Mark says, and they went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Um, lots of things in this passage. <laughs> yeah. Again, um, you know, Jesus did seem to combine, though, his preaching, teaching, and I, I don't know how to separate those two. I guess I would say Jesus is always teaching. Sometimes he's got a really big crowd, and for that I would say he's preaching. Um, but it seems like he's always combining that with healing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean there- – yeah, not you know, I mean, not a hundred percent of the time. Like the Sermon on the Mount, it doesn't say anything about him stopping in the middle to heal somebody. But it just feels like that was just an intrinsic part of what he did. He healed because that's who he was. Mm-hmm. And it's not just that. The way that Mark is is throwing these together, it's just this litany. It's like whoa, you know, you feel like you're getting a shotgun of all these different miracles and impressive resume. Mark wants to show you that Jesus is undeniably God. You know, when it when it talks about how they were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes, you'll notice this when you go through the Gospels. 
that prophets always spoke with these words. They would say, thus says the Lord, and then they would you know, say whatever God was communicating. Thus says the Lord, thus says the Lord. But you'll notice in the Gospels, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you. You, you won't find Jesus saying, thus says the Lord. He says, I say to you, which means what? I am the Lord. Right. I don't need to say, thus says the Lord. I say, I say to you. You wonder why Jesus always uses that redundant line, I say to you. Well, that's obvious. You're talking. I see your mouth moving. Right. You know, he's, he's not – what he's saying is, I am the Lord. I speak on my own authority. And so everybody's looking at him like, holy cow, he's speaking as one who has authority, not thus says the Lord. Right. Then, then you jump out, and what are, what are these demons saying, Tim? You've come to destroy us? Well, who has the power to destroy the spiritual realm? Well, they answer it. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And so Mark is saying, okay, he has the authority to teach as God himself. He has the authority to destroy the spiritual realm as God himself. And he rebukes them. He makes it so that they can't speak. Uh, who has authority to silence the spiritual realm? Men are beneath the angels, right? And yet here's a man who's commanding fallen angels saying, you will be quiet. <laughs> you know? yeah. he's, he's, this dude has some serious authority. And no, no wonder his fame spread everywhere. And he's got authority over fevers and he's got authority over – Everybody who comes to him who's oppressed by demons and all sorts of sicknesses, and the world is beginning to see, okay, this guy has authority over stuff that no man has authority over, and Mark is telling you, this is God. He is God in the flesh. You know, in my – I get a, like a little bit of commentary each day with the study notes, and uh, in the commentary for this day, uh, I said he spoke with the authority of an author describing his own book. Or a yeah, craftsman, yeah. or a craftsman describing what he'd fashioned with his own hands. Um, That's it awesome. Was, it was personal. It's like Jesus was talking as like, and I wrote this, and then I did that. <laughs> and you're like, you're like, oh. Um, but, but I also think that this idea of healing is something that God talked about in the Old Testament many, many, many times. Is that. He's like, I will bring healing. I will heal you. I will send healing. It's like this idea that, you know, that God wants to heal and that healing was one way that you were going to know that it was God, you know. Um, mm-hmm. it gave me an opportunity. I, I read it to you before we started recording. And um, I, I always, I'm always happy when I get a chance to quote the Lord of the Rings because I am that kind of nerd. I just am. And you guys have to <laughs> accept that. Uh, but, uh, in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, author J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, he was himself, by the way, a Christian. He had this line in The Return of the King. He said, one of the city's nurses recalled a legend of Gondor, which said, the hands of the king are the hands of a healer, and so shall the rightful king be known. Uh, in Tolkien's story, the king showed himself to be the rightful king, not by winning the battle, and he did win the battle, not by wearing the crown, and he did wear the crown. He showed himself to be the rightful king by being a healer. Um, and I said, Jesus doesn't get to be king because he heals people. He brings healing because he is the rightful king. Um, I just think that it's something that, you know, he could have established his authority 
any in many different ways. Um, obviously, he had the ability to command the demons. He had the ability to uh, predict the future. He, you know, he just he was God. He had his he he had his divine nature. Still, mm-hmm. he could have done anything, but he but he chose to show his authority by healing. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's that, wonderful. I think that we take from that that um, that God wants us to be healed. Um, mm-hmm. But it's not always, and I, I, mean, I know the immediate thing where people jump up and go, then why didn't he heal my child or my parent or my sister or my mother or whatever? Why didn't he heal me? You know, that kind of thing. Um, and, you know, the answer to that question is that he will heal everyone. Um, why does he heal some on this side of the veil and not others? I don't know, except to say that God does everything that he does to bring glory to himself. And I can tell you from personal experience that some of the people who have dealt with this unbelievable adversity in terms of their own uh, health and, and, and frankly lack of healing in this life have been some of the most powerful testimonies and encouragements of faith you know, if your faith, Sam, can't sustain you in the moments that are most dire, when, mm-hmm. you're, when you've got nothing left but that, if your faith can't, can, can't sustain you then, if it can't make a difference then, it's like, when can it? I mean, that's, like the, that's the moment at which you show the truth of your faith. Um, mm-hmm. And I think God is glorified in that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would uh, – Add to that that the temptation is to say, you know, it's 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 this it's the words of Satan that you know if God doesn't spare you, then He must not love you. Right. And the temptations of Jesus show that that's absolutely incorrect. Um, you know, God loved the Father, loved the Son supremely with an infinite and eternal love, and yet when Jesus goes to Him in the garden. And says, you know, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. You know, I don't, I don't want to undergo the cross. I don't, you know, my my flesh doesn't desire this. I know it's going to be painful and it's going to be awful. And, um, you know, the father allows his son to walk through that because he sees, you know, something that's far more triumphant, far more beautiful on the other side, and and, and allows that suffering because he knows that the glory on the other side is that much greater. Um, and, you know, I, I believe that that's true in all of our stories, even when we can't understand it or when that might sound trite. You know, God is working all things for his glory, which will be for our good ultimately. Um, and, you know, you mentioned how the king is always the healer. You know, this this whole story begins with the baptism of Jesus, which we talked about as a picture of new beginnings coming, Right. And you got to think, you know, okay, well, if it's a new beginning and he is God in the flesh, then that means that he was the God who was there at creation. He's the one who created all things. John's gospel opens telling us that. And how did he create all things? Well, he created all things without disease and he created all things without death and without hunger and suffering and depression and all these things and without spiritual torment. And so when you see the creator move and he's working at making a new creation, we shouldn't be surprised that when he performs these miracles, 
He's restoring the way that he had initially intended the world to be. He's overthrowing the invaders. And I love a quote by Keller. I'm going to read this just because I, I think it's brilliant. Uh, but in his book, Reason for God, he says this. He says, we modern people think of miracles as the suspension of the natural order, but Jesus meant them to be the restoration of the natural order. The Bible tells us that God did not originally make the world to have disease and hunger and death in it. Jesus has come to redeem where it is wrong and to heal the world where it's broken. His miracles are not just proofs that he has power, but also, this is my favorite part, but also wonderful foretastes of what he is going to do with that power. Jesus' miracles are not just a challenge to our minds, but a promise to our hearts that the world we all want is coming. Mm-hmm. That's it. I love that. It's, it's that insurgency concept. He's making a new creation. The world we want is coming, and he's calling on us to be a part of it. And even if our greatest longings aren't answered here or our prayer requests are not answered here, we have the guarantee by faith that they will be because Jesus is ultimately in the Garden of Gethsemane. His prayer was not answered that he would be spared from the cross. And because they weren't answered, your prayers will be. Yeah. It's something that I think about because I'm getting older and things aren't working as well as they used to. And um, I'm I'm always having to think about uh, what limitations that I have now that I didn't used to have and what hurts and what doesn't work as well as it used to and that sort of thing. And I do, you know, I'm, I, I do things to try to mitigate it. Uh, I, I make an effort, uh, probably not good enough and probably not all that I need to do. Uh, but the bottom line is that having an, a feeling that what I'm, how I'm living and what I'm going through, uh, somehow the things I can do are still making a difference. You know, it's like God has, if God was finished with me, I wouldn't be here anymore. And it's a, it's a, it's an interesting thing to think about. And I don't, I don't, it's not necessarily great comfort when people are suffering, but it is to me anyways, to say that I'm not going to live one day longer, nor one day less than God wants me to live. Um, he has numbered my days. I mean, that's the scripture mm-hmm. tells us that he has numbered my days. Um, and so, you know, it's like, and I'll tell you something at 61 with fewer, you know, fewer, uh, fewer sleeps in my future than I've had sleeps in my past. And, you know, I get <laughs> the kids are like, Hey dad, four sleeps to Disney world. Yeah, I know we're going on. the weekend. <laughs> um, I will tell you that it's, you know, the 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 present reality that life is quick it's like it's over it's fast it's gone in the blink of an eye um when i was 16 years old i could never imagine being 30 i'm like 30 years old oh man oh how can anyone live that long and here i'm twice that i'm over 60 and i'm like i was 16 yesterday um so you know it's everything that the bible tells me about life has proven to be true one hundred percent, including the fact that it is a vapor. It's you know this life is is insubstantial, um, and so it's just something that you know the fact that what Jesus did when he came among us and he began to preach and began to teach was that he also began to heal. It's just 
it's very it's very meaningful to me as I get mm-hmm. older and like I said all the bits start to rust and uh, and fall off. Mm-hmm. So we have then our final uh, section here, which is uh, chapter one verses thirty five to forty five. Which in my outline, I've said, here's Jesus as preacher, but he's going to heal here also. Just letting you know, (laughs) forewarned is forearmed. It's going to be some healing here too. Uh, Verse 35, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate space, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. That that statement is really fascinating to me. And I didn't think about it until you just read it. But it says, you know, everybody's searching for him. And what are no doubt, what are they all looking for? They're wanting to be healed. or They're wanting to to be healed. Yeah, they wanted to do his miracle stuff. Yeah, and Jesus says, uh, you know, but I came here to preach. That's why I came, which Jesus is giving a value statement here. You know, it's not that the healing is insignificant because he continues to do it. But what he's saying is what's more important than even that is what I have to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like Jesus recognized, and that's not a merciless statement. What he rec- what, What's recognizing is if people hear my words and they understand the hope that's in the words I'm preaching, you're going to find your healing eventually, all of you. Um, and it's it's really interesting. He's putting more emphasis on the prophetic words that he's declaring, the gospel that he's preaching, and the hope that's there than he is in any earthly healings, yeah. which is interesting to me. That's why I came out. Yeah. Um, and then a very interesting thing happens, verse 40. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity. He stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Hmm. Uh, In the study notes this week, I have the Lautenschläger expanded read between the lines version again. (laughs) And I I said, I mentioned, I, I imagined this conversation. First of all, let me just say I was really impressed by the leper because the leper in one sentence, he expresses confidence that Jesus can heal him and humility in acknowledging that if Jesus does heal him, it will be because Jesus wills. So there's no doubts and there's also no demands, which is pretty remarkable for a guy that's in that state. Being a leper was in – you were in a rough state back mm-hmm. in the first century. But I just imagined this sort of conversation – uh, where one of his disciples comes forward, and I'm going to guess it's Peter, uh, and says, you know he's going to tell everyone, right? And I just imagine Jesus saying, yes, I know, because he he knew everything. Jesus knew this guy was going to do that, which for me at least raises the question of if he knew that the guy was going to do that, why did he tell him, first of all, not to? And secondly, why did he heal him if the guy was going to 
disobey the next thing that Jesus told him to do. I gave kind of a not-so-serious answer in study notes where I said, maybe Jesus figured out this was the way that he could be outside the towns and get everybody to come to him from all over rather than doing one town at a time. I <laughs> don't seriously think that's the reason that he did it. Um, but I, I think more likely, you know, Jesus was not going to tell the guy to do something that was contrary to the law. And the law specifies that if you were a leper and you find that you have leprosy no more, you have to go directly to the priest and have the priest examine you and declare you clean and you make an offering of a prescribed amount. So Jesus was telling the man to do the right thing, even though he knew the guy wasn't going to do the right thing. He was still telling him to do the right thing. He's not going to tell anybody to disobey uh, the law and something like that. Would you agree with that? Or why do you think that he told the leper not to say anything? Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's part of it. I think that's very valid. But there's also there's many times where Jesus will say to somebody after he just does something miraculous, don't tell anybody. Um, <clears throat> like after the transfiguration, he says, I don't want you to tell anybody about this until after the resurrection. And I think part of that is he wants he also wants people to be able to focus on the prophetic message that the gospel has preeminence even more so than his healing. Um, some people say, you know, that when he touches a leper, that everybody would have considered him unclean, and so he's trying to hide it. You know, like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, don't tell anybody that I touched you, because that's one of the stunning. And I think that's ridiculous too, by the way. I, that's one of the stunning parts of the story is. It, to heal a leper is pretty amazing, but it shows you the compassionate and kind nature of Jesus that he actually when, – when you approached a leper in the first century, they were required to yell out by, by law, unclean, unclean, you know, stay away from me. Um, they were to be marked and Jesus comes up and gives this guy a human contact, which he wouldn't have had for God only knows how long. And he touches him and then something happens that never happened with any other human being – Humans could impute negative things to each other. So I can I can come get you sick when I have the flu, <laughs> but I can't give you my wellness. You know, I, if you're sick and I'm healthy, I can't come and give you my health. I can't. You know, back in the ancient world, they would impute their sins to the scapegoat, or at least figuratively, they could give their negative stuff to something. Mm-hmm. But Jesus comes. You, know, you touched a leper; it was thought to be contagious back then, right? So you you didn't do that because they would impute, in some sense, their leprosy to you. But here comes a man who does impute goodness. He touches the leper, and he doesn't become leprous. The other guy becomes well, and so it's like his his God power of healing surges out of him and makes the other person well, rather than him being infected. No other human being can do that, which is another nod toward his divinity. And so I'm, I'm thinking, you know, Jesus is, is telling him, you know, I, I want people to be able to hear what I have to say rather than just coming to me for their immediate need because what I have to say is more important. You know, the same thing happens in the Gospels when he feeds the 5,000 and he keeps going. And they should, they, everybody's now following him because they want food. And Jesus will tell them, like, you're following after me for the wrong kind of bread. I'm, I'm offering the bread of life, and you're coming to me for stuff that's going to leave you hungry tomorrow. You're coming to me as a leper to be cleansed when you don't understand your soul is rotten. You know, my words, the power of the gospel is far more important 
than just these external issues, you know, which Jesus is compassionate and he heals them anyway. Mm-hmm. But his words have more power to them for healing than even his actual healing of their circumstance. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's that he wants to keep the, the focus on his words would be my guess. But I think you're right as well. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's like there was a prescribed thing. So there's plenty of other examples in the Gospels of, as you said, of Jesus saying, don't tell anybody what has taken place here today. And in every case, in every single case, I think everybody has just gone and immediately started telling everybody they could. Um, you know, and I, and I, you know, to some extent, I have to give them a bit of a pass. If I had been blind, right, my entire life, if, or if I had yeah. been a leper for years, forced to live outside of the city, scrabbling for existence, if these, had, if this had been, if I'd been lame and unable to walk my entire life, and Jesus got me back on my feet, restored my sight, cured my leprosy, whatever it is, man, I don't think I could keep quiet. You know, <laughs> but, but you know, apply that same thing to what he's done for you. You know, yeah. like he's he's come to me. I, these the guy who's born blind from birth, or the guy who's the leper, or whatever. They they can't keep it to themselves because they're like, oh my gosh, this guy has healed me of a condition that has been really, really, really a struggle of mine. And the reality is, he's he's healed me of something far greater mm-hmm. than what he healed this leper of. Far greater than mm-hmm. what he healed the blind man born. And do I have that same zeal to run from place to place and tell everybody, you'll never believe what this guy did for me? Um, like we should all have that same type of zeal to where, like even <laughs> even when he says don't talk about it, they can't do it. Well, he comes to us and says, tell everybody. And we don't show the same kind of zeal as some of these guys do, mm-hmm. um, which is convicting, honestly. It is. Um, but we have faced a far greater healing than any of these characters have by nature of what he did for us on the cross. Wow. And he comes to us and says, I want you to tell everybody. You know, we should be making him very famous <laughs> with our neighbors and, and our city. I do, I do also like, though, in this passage that the passage begins with Jesus going off by himself uh, and praying uh, before it was time to go mm-hmm. off and preach. I, I'm just going to go out there on a limb and say, if I asked most Christians, what's one thing that you struggle with? They would say, consistency in my prayer life. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think it's something that every Christian has a hard time with because mm-hmm. especially as we sort of become more – like familiar with the patterns of the church and life in the church and and the things of the faith, we tend to, you know, it's like, yep, we open in prayer. It's going to be probably 30 seconds and not going to say much, um, that kind of thing. But the fact that, that <laughs> Jesus, you know, we have this recorded time and again that Jesus goes off by himself to pray. He's going off for the purpose of prayer. He's traveling to be by himself, to be alone with the Father. And the importance of prayer over everything and before every work of the ministry is, I think, driven home by this. It's like his preaching ministry was more important than his healing ministry. And the thing that was most important is that he prayed First off, it's like, I got to preach. That's the most important thing. First, I have to pray. Um, So I took some, you know, I I took note of that also. 
that that's, uh, that that's what it tells me about the identity of Jesus, is that Jesus himself, a guy who probably, just going to suggest that maybe he didn't need to pray quite as much as we did, like because, you know, he was God himself, um, yet he also was somebody who was given to prayer and compelled to prayer. So if Jesus prayed, how much more should then we be praying? Hmm. Yeah, and you wonder, you know, when when God was, you know, fully God and now married himself to to humanity, so he's also fully man, you know, he took on limitations in his humanity. And, you know, I think he recognizes even though he's not even – he's not fallen, he doesn't have, you know, some of that same stuff that we have. You know, he's he's perfect. He's righteous. He's all those things. And yet he still has the wisdom and the need to connect with the Father and he delights in it, you know. And right. So if, like you're talking about, if if he needed that being sinless and righteous and, you know, God in the flesh, if he – needed to 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 make time for that and in fact wanted to make time for that he put it as a priority above all other things um and sometimes pushed away the needs to mm-hmm. make time to be with god if he needed that how much more do we broken needy weak <laughs> messes you know oftentimes how much more do we need it yeah um that's yeah. true. Yeah. And he goes to a desolate place, which is not, you know, managing iPhones and TVs and radios and traffic and everything else. Like, he goes to a place where he knows his father will have his full attention. Right. That's a convicting part for me. Yeah. Um, you're right. <laughs> uh, turning off all distractions is a difficult one because, you know, I find for myself that even when I eliminate distractions, like, I can turn my phone off. I know how that works. But I also know that my phone is off and can be turned back on. <laughs> and so that's in the back of my mind all the time. What am I missing? You know, what's come in? Has there been an email? Has there been a text? Is everything okay? Is there anything I need to know? Um, as if I'm somehow the most important person in the world. I'm like, mm-hmm. trust me, anybody can be spared for the time it takes for them to go and spend time in prayer. Another conversation that I remember having with my brother-in-law, the preacher, Tracy's brother, um, he talked about a practice that they had adopted in their men's group of when it was time for them to pray. They started by – I think I've heard Tom talk about doing this too. They started by taking a tablet, a piece of paper, not like a tablet like the stone tablets on Mount Sinai, but just a piece of paper, a tablet and a pencil and writing down everything that was on their mind right then, everything they were thinking about right then. So that they could, so that they could pick it up later and start thinking about it again. But by <laughs> writing it down, this idea of I'm I'm afraid to like try to empty my mind because I'm afraid of what I'm going to forget. I've got I've got a bunch of stuff I've got to remember. And he was like, okay, so start by writing down everything that's on your mind right now, and just put that aside, and then pray, and then mm-hmm. go back and get your tablet and get all that crap back on your mind. That's fine, you know that kind of thing. Uh, and I thought that was good advice. You know, it's one of those practical things. I think I've heard Tom talk about doing that too, that he does that. Uh, before he prays, he writes down what's on his mind because he, otherwise he can't let go of it. And I, believe me, I understand that. It's really, really, really hard for me to let go of things mentally. Um, I tell you that I've done it. I think I've done it. I've not done it. Uh, it continues to chew around back there and it keeps, you know, banging on the glass and trying to break in. 
And I spend as much time warding off the thought as I would thinking about it. And this whole chapter, I mean, it's it's really profound. It's going through, I mean, it's making an introduction that leaves you with an absolute certainty that this Jesus is altogether different. He's bringing about new beginnings. He's overthrowing the fallen order with all these miracles. He's withstanding the temptation. He's teaching with divine authority. He shows dominion over the spiritual realm. He's got all of this power, and yet he recognizes I need to go to a desolate place where I have no distractions, and there I need to be alone with my father. Like he makes it a priority, which is, like I said, that's really, really revealing. And it's, it's whether it's need or desire, you know, there's there's something in that for us to to seek wisdom in and to emulate. Mm-hmm. So those are the things that we've learned about Jesus, <laughs> just from reading chapter one of Mark. Uh, we have many more weeks to go. Uh, next week, uh, I was, you know, I'm I'm always a week ahead of everybody, so I was reading ahead, and you know, next week we have topics like uh, the question about fasting, the question about the Sabbath. Um, so he's there's going to be lots of things that we're going to find out about Jesus. We're also going to see uh, the call of Matthew. So mm-hmm. yeah, next week's a little shotgunny. <laughs> you know, it feels like this week it's like bam, 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 a lot of stuff, and so next week it really kind of boils down to four stories that Mark seems to give a little bit more detail to, which I'm a fan of. Yeah, yeah. yeah he, Am I it's, allowed to say that? Yeah, it's, 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 it, you're allowed to say that, but it, it's still uh, – he still moves sort of quickly. But, uh, but that's going to be you – know, but that's uh, – and I would not be surprised. You know, this, this is going to you know, no doubt become a two-part episode. I suspect many of them are going to be two-part episodes. Well, folks, we hope that you've enjoyed your time with us this week, uh, that it's been profitable for you. We hope that you will join us each week as we continue to study through the Gospel of Mark, uh, these first eight weeks on the identity of Jesus, and then going further for uh, the next last eight, second eight chapters on the mission of Jesus. Uh, if you would like to hear the messages from Sunday morning that are preached that go along with these podcasts, it's all a united effort, or get the personal worship uh, study notes, you can find all of those things at our website at riovistachurch.com. Uh, of course, the best thing would be, if you want to hear the sermons, is come join us on Sunday morning. Uh, if you live in the greater Fort Lauderdale area and you don't have a church that is your home church, uh, we would love to have you come visit us at ours. You can find directions to the church, information about the times of the service, everything you need to know on our website, riovistachurch.com. That's R-I-O, Vista Church. Dot com. You can also find the Out of Water podcast, all the back episodes there at riovistachurch.com slash out of water, uh, as well as on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, and on Spotify. And I just checked all three links the other day to make sure they were still correct, so we're still up on all three platforms. Uh, <laughs> we'll be back next week with more from the Gospel of Mark, and we look forward to seeing you then. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, riovistachurch.com slash outofwater.